All right, folks, welcome to episode 10 of What in the History. My name is Dan Brady. As always, I'm here with my co-hostess with the most, Johnny Smith. How are you doing? I'm doing phenomenal, Dan. How are you? Oh, I'm not too bad. Uh, happy Spooktober to everybody. Uh, happy October. You're, you're doing something special with your other podcasts why don't you tell the people about that while i uh while i share everything for the live stream okay um over at uh inquisitive minds podcast we're selling shirts and leggings uh that uh are breast cancer awareness shirts that um we are donating 100 percent of the profits to the breast cancer research foundation um it's a very uh, a good organization you know, they provide wigs, women, um, they're looking for, you know, fighting for the cure, for treatment, uh, prevention. Um, it's actually one of those companies I looked up. It's 90, 90 cents on the dollar goes to actual, you know, the research and, and the actual product. It's a great organization. Um, you know, it's very close to me. When I was 17, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. She was stage four. Um, didn't think she was going to make it. She went through chemo, she went through radiation, uh, she had a double mastectomy. Um, uh, through the remission medicine, though, it caused uterine cancer. Thank God she made it out of that. But breast cancer is still a problem and um, needs to be addressed all the time. Amen. Good on you for contributing such a great cause. Uh, sales been good so far? Um, they've been a little slow. But there's been sales. That's good. Anything um, helps, you know. Anything helps. Absolutely. So, full disclosure, this is a very last-minute episode because I know episode 10 was supposed to be Al Capone, but scheduling conflicts. Um, so you have no idea what we're doing right now. No. Well, I kind of figured since it is Spooktober, it is the spooky season, we're going to talk about pure, pure evil today. We are going to talk about a man uh, who goes by the name of Tommy Lynn Sells. Uh, he's also known as the cross-country killer. Uh, Tommy Lynn Sells' reign of terror started in 1979 on July 5th and ended uh, <clears throat> December 31st, 2000. Uh, <clears throat> this man cut a path across the country and left bodies in his wake. Uh, <clears throat> according to him, he's killed over 70 people. He got convicted for one murder, and it is believed that he has killed, at the very least, 22 people. Okay. Uh, cells traveled all over the United States targeting random pick, uh, random victims, though he seemed to prefer couples young to middle-aged women and girls aged 9 to 14. His victims were killed in a variety of ways, including shooting with a 32 caliber revolver, revolver bludgeoning, um, throat slashing, stabbing, strangulations. Some victims were mutilated. Most of his female victims were raped and or sexually assaulted uh, one he uh violated with a baseball bat that he used to kill her another one was forced to perform oral sex on him before her death uh one what? victim 
was ran over by a train post-mortem. During his couple murders, he would also kill any children present. He would say because he didn't want the kids to grow up without parents. Oh, wow. What a hero. Oh, for sure. This is, uh, <laughs> he's definitely a very good human being. Oh, my uh, Lord. Oh, I know. Uh, so, <clears throat> like I said, his, he's kind of like, um, Henry Lee Lucas. He didn't, he didn't confess to any other murders than what he was convicted of when he was erect, arrested. Um, mm -hmm. so like he just started confessing to everything. The ones we're going to talk about today, there is evidence that ties him to these. But like I said at the beginning, uh, it's, he says that he killed, uh, 70 plus people. We're talking about uh, the 22. Yes. So he's, he, his pathology is he's a serial killer, civil rapist, pedophile, hebophile. Um, what's a hebophile? I got you, Johnny, uh, is a person who is primarily attracted to adolescence. Oh, he's an adductor, a family annihilator and a necrophiliac. Today's tale oh is my, not he sees the total package. Today's tale is not for the faint of heart. Uh, just to give you an idea of what we're going to be dealing with, here's a couple quotes from Tommy Lynn. Uh, I don't know what love is. Two words I don't like to use is love and sorry because I'm about hate. And the first time I killed somebody, it was such a rush. It was just like that. I shot a dope every time I did it. I want to know what love is. <laughs> but I want wow. Oh, yeah. Are you ready for this? Uh, yeah, let's rock and roll. All right. So, Tommy was born to Nina and William Sells on June 28, 1964 in Oakland, California, along with his twin sister, Tammy Jean. Uh, the twins had two older assemblies, Timothy Lee and Terry Joe. Yes, those are real fucking names. Uh, they were soon joined by another set of twins, uh, both boys and later by a brother, uh, Jerry Kevin, Jimmy Keith, and Randy Jean. Oh Jerry Kevin. Guy. That's a great <laughs> one. It's Jerry Kevin. That's a rough one. I never heard of that one before. JK, what's up, brother? Oh, <laughs> Although um, William was listed as the father, uh, <clears throat> Tommy would later swear that the biological father of all the children um, was a man named Joe Lovins. William had regular employment with benefits, but when he fell into serious financial trouble, he turned to Joe Lovins to help. Tommy claimed that Levins took advantage of William's death to force him to claim the kids as his. Uh, Nina never denied the claim. So uh, William Sells gave Tommy his surname, but not much else. Shortly after Randy Jean was born, he abandoned Nina and the children and was never heard from again. 
Um, the rest of the family moved to Missouri. How long did it take for him to abandon them? Uh, roughly five years. Uh, the rest <laughs> of the rest of the family moved to Missouri not long after Tammy Jean, Tommy's twin sister, developed a high fever. Um, she was taken to the hospital shortly after 6 a.m. The doctors diagnosed her with pneumonia. Um, she was immediately admitted and placed in an isolation tent for treatment. Uh, Nina stayed by her daughter's side until 6.30 that evening when Tommy Jean succumbed to the illness. Uh, Nina oh, demanded an autopsy, not believing it was pneumonia, and she was proved correct. Little Tammy Jean had uh, contracted spinal meningitis. Uh, Tommy later, this, this affected Tommy. Um, he later got a tattoo for his, the death of his twin sister. It was a tombstone with her name. Very curious. What was it? Uh, oh, two, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Tommy stayed with his mother's aunt while the rest of the family attended the funeral. As the service started, Nina received an urgent message that Tommy had developed a high fever too. He was taken to the same hospital as his sister, and the doctor gave the same diagnosis. Not trusting the hospital, his mother um, pulled him out and took him to another hospital 90 miles away. Halfway there, Tommy sat up as if nothing was wrong. His fever broken. Uh, regardless, he spent five days in the hospital before he was released. Uh, it's still kind of unclear mm -hmm. whether or not he, he faked this. Um, okay. But... Uh, so soon after he recovered, his mother decided to rent a house from her aunt. Uh, when she checked out the place with her son in tow, the aunt offered to keep Tommy until the rest of the family was settled into the home. So for two and a half years, Tommy stayed with his aunt Bonnie. Um, this He would later state this is the best two and a half years of his life. Uh, Tommy received really? attention. Um, that he needed from his aunt's two daughters, 12-year-old Sandy and 8-year-old Kathy. Uh, each day they went to school, they would walk out to meet them as they came home. It's a very loving, very caring environment. Um, uh, Bonnie and uh, her daughters loved Tommy so much, they decided to make an offer to adopt him legally. Uh, but Tommy's mom didn't agree. She yanked her son out of the only home he had felt safe in and basically brought him back to hers. Um, but up until that point, she acted as if he didn't exist. Uh, Bonnie repeatedly tried to get Tommy, but Nina refused to let her see him. Uh, so this kind of goes back to um, nature versus nurture. Like we will see it's in Tommy's nature to do all this, but if he had been nurtured like he was with uh, Aunt Bonnie, would he have still done the things he did? You I know? subscribe to it's a combination of the both, you know. But uh, as as we're going to see, sometimes, sometimes things are in you no matter what. You know? the, the whole thing kind of feel like uh, the wrong kid died, basically. Like Nina never showed Tommy any love. Um, and it just, and the next events just kind of build. Uh, so he's basically having uh, having a stereotypical uh, serial killer childhood.
you know, and it's uh, this here. Uh, at the age of seven, Tommy started abusing alcohol, drinking bourbon he found under his grandfather's truck seat. His attendance at school became sporadic. Uh, Tommy One felt cool. Okay. Um, we have to acknowledge Carter. I know. <laughs> Hi, Carter. <laughs> All right, back to the. So he started abusing alcohol when he was seven. He started skipping school. Um, That's so early. That's so early. When when he was eight, he uh, he met a man from Frisbee, Missouri. Uh, the man started a <laughs> systematic. Uh, seduction of Tommy. Uh, he took Tommy oh to Canada, where he taught him to shoot pool and bought him gifts. Uh, he visited the man's house, only lasted a few days at a time at first. The mother allowed this. Uh, when they suddenly became longer and longer, Tommy would throw a fit each time Nina insisted he return home and he wouldn't stop begging to go back. Uh, she gave in, and eventually Tommy started living with the man full time. Uh, the man provided when he was eight. He was eight uh, the man provided Tommy with an allowance. Um, he had money to spend each day, but the money came with a price. Can you guess what that price was, Johnny? Well, from the way things are going, was it anal sex? Anal sex. Jesus Christ, I'm so upset I got that on the money. <laughs> the man sexually abused Tommy for years. After the first time, uh, he curled up in the ball and cried. He wanted to tell someone, but he didn't know who to tell. When this man was questioned in 2000, he denied the allegations. Of course. Um, of course, yeah. At the age of 10, Tommy started smoking marijuana. Um <laughs> This kid is, I mean, he's, that's got a, that fucking had to damage him though. Like, uh, that's rough. Go ahead. He didn't deserve that. He just, I'm just, you know, because you immediately want to go, what a piece of shit. And for whatever he ends up doing, yeah. But he did not deserve that shit at eight. At the age of 13, Tommy was staying at his grandmother's house overnight. She was asleep when she felt movement in her bed. Tommy was naked and slipped beneath the covers with her. Uh, she told him to get out, and Tommy did as he was told, and he never tried to climb in her bed again. Uh, Tommy walked from his grandmother's house to his family's trailer to see his mother and brother. When he pulled on the knob, it was locked. When he knocked, no one responded. Uh, he looked inside the window and saw there was nothing inside. They moved without him. Uh, oh, 14 shit. Years, 14 years old, he was on his own. Um, so just a few days after this, the first time Tommy ever did anything bad, um, he pistol with the woman about two days later. Mm. So now we're starting. Just like she, she angered him, so he beat the shit out of her. Oh, wow. Rage. Okay when he was 14. So uh, at this point, uh, Tommy starts to travel. When he's 14 years old, he starts working for uh, circuses 
county fairs, stuff like that. Uh, he said some of the fondest moments of his life was traveling to the Grand Canyon, uh, Niagara Falls, just all over the country. Um, <laughs> Sounds like a nice life if you're not killing people along the way. Right. Uh, but at this time, he was really committing petty crimes and stuff like that. Um, so <clears throat> he had a vivid memory of the place he visited, such as the Grand Canyon, Vegas, Niagara Falls. Um, <clears throat> Vegas, yeah, imagine being 14 and going to Vegas without parents. Yeah, so that would be nuts. We're going to talk about his first murder but we don't actually know if Tommy committed this. Yes, Carter, this is a serial killer. His, uh, I'm goes highly disappointed. You, you, can type, you feel ignored, but you don't know the topic of the... Oh, some people. <laughs> uh, so <clears throat> his first murder um, supposedly happened when he was 16. Um, <clears throat> there is like he broke into this house and saw this guy molesting this kid um so he said he <laughs> killed the guy to save the kid and let the kid leave but there's there's never any evidence the nobody was ever found no kid was ever found so we're just going to talk so about this story so okay. here we go to what we know is the first murder on July 5th, 1979, just outside of Port Gibson, Mississippi, Kathleen Cade uh, called her husband and arranged for him to meet her at their son's T-ball game at about 5.30 that evening. Uh, she loaded her two sons, Richard and John Jr., into the car and left their home. The game went late, and Kathleen fell asleep in the easy chair in the living room when the family returned home. When she woke after midnight, Richard had fallen asleep in his own bed and John and John Jr. were watching television in the master bedroom. Kathleen walked down the hall to her room and snuggled into the bed. Sometime during the wee hours of the morning, a young man put a stool from the patio beneath a window at the front of their house. He quietly removed the screen, climbed through the open window, and lowered himself down to the floor without making a sound. In his possession was a 32 caliber revolver. He hid, listening to be sure the uh, residents were asleep. A little while later, he moved into the kitchen. He got a uh, jug of milk from the refrigerator and drank from it as he moved from the family home. Uh, <laughs> that's just, that's a detail that just strikes me so weird. Like this guy's like, I'm breaking it's into just, the house. Let me, uh, let me get screams, my house up. It screams to his level of desperation. You know, he doesn't have anything. He, he's probably hungry all the time, thirsty all the time. That just screams to his level of desperation right? as a human. Right. So he, he set the milk down. Um, Kathleen heard rustling uh, <clears throat> and some scuffling <laughs> noises, but she couldn't quite wake up. Kind of like you're on the edge of sleep and you hear stuff. Um, she heard something that sounded like popping popcorn or the sound of a car backfiring, and then her husband shouted. Mm. She came fully awake, um, 
first thing she noticed was on her digital clock, it read 3.01 a.m. Then she saw her husband who turned on the light and told her he was bleeding. He stumbled into the bathroom where his terrible wife and wife and son watched him as he tried to wash his hands in the sink. Then he toppled backward dead. Um, oh. Investigators had no leads. Um, nothing was missing from the home. They couldn't find any fingerprints. Kathleen passed the polygraph and was cleared. They found no reasonable explanation as to why someone would kill 39-year-old John Cade, uh, who was the chairman of the church board and didn't appear to have any enemies. Um, <clears throat> so the next year, uh, Oakland, California, 1980, Tommy returned so, home. So he, he did that one? Yes, that's what he says. But again, there's no evidence. Oh man! But, but uh, this is kind of one the of the ones. Story matches up. Yeah, that's wild. In Oakland, California, Tommy killed a man with an ice pick. Um, he got in a fight, basically, and he killed him with his ice pick. Uh, <clears throat> so basically. Uh, he got wounded, went to the hospital, uh, <clears throat> against medical advice, he left the hospital and hitchhiked to St. Louis, Missouri, where his mother was list living. It took 49 hours for him to reach her home. She let him in and nursed him back to health. Oh, well, good for something. <clears throat> in early eighties, he lived in Little Rock, Arkansas, where he spent some time at a youth home behind McClellan High School. He and his girlfriend then rented an apartment at Six Port Smith Drive, but the relationship didn't uh, last. <clears throat> this is the part that baffles me about these guys. Every celery killer you talk about, they do well with the ladies. Uh, Tommy had a string of women who would come and go. So many, in fact, his mother took to calling him her little whore. Well, to be a sociopath, you have to have charisma like... You know, you got to be charismatic to get away with multiple murders at some point. You've got to right. be able to talk your way out of situations. That makes sense to me. So, in May of 1981, Nina and her remaining boys were living in Arkansas. Uh, one day, while she was taking a shower in the morning before she went to work, she heard the bathroom door open. Uh, the shower curtain pulled back, and Tommy joined her in the shower stall. Nina told him to get out. She kicked his shins, hit yeah. his shoulders with her fists, and finally convinced him to leave. He put on his clothes and fled the house. What a fucking weirdo. <laughs> right? So doing? You, you fucking get out of here. He was committed to the community mental health clinic in Jonesboro for the attempted sexual assault of his mother. He attended his first appointment, even though he was confused about why he was there. Uh, he he claims he didn't know why he attacked his mother. Um, it became obvious to the counselor that this was a volatile young man. As they progressed in the sessions, it became evident that Tommy had a very troubled childhood. He felt unloved, unwanted. He believed himself to be the cause of all the problems in the household, and he was unhappy about his current life. You know, mentally doing fucking awesome. 
Yeah, he's a fucking nut job. I'm the root of problems in my house. Probably. He wanted to hurt someone else in order to re relieve his pain. During the uh, diagnosis process, it was real revealed that he was involved in cannabis and alcohol abuse. He suffered from aggression, conduct disorder, under-socialization. He was advised to attend regular therapy sessions to help him explore his anger and emotions. He attended five of those uh, sessions. Then on June 18th, he called and canceled the sixth. Never returned. So, you know, doing great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Graduated early. Uh, March 27, 1982, he was arrested in Little Rock for public intoxication after uh, a, a dispute um, on Geyer Spring Road at the time he worked at the Kinney Shoe Store on that same street. Later that year, he became the father of a boy with Cindy Hanna. Cindy had been his first love, but her uh, father strongly disapproved that Tommy considering that Tommy had robbed the church the family attended, it would be hard to blame him. <laughs> Good call on dad. <laughs> uh, he, he, he later uh, confessed to committing two different murders in the area during this time. One incident has been confirmed, although uh, it had a slightly different outcome than what Tommy believed and confessed to. Um, Tommy snuck into a home in a wooded area just south of the Plusky Saline uh, County line. Very easy names this week. I am enjoying it. Um, I'm good. It's nice. He hadn't planned on hurting anyone. He just wanted to break in and steal what he could find. Unfortunately, Hal Atkins was home when Tommy broke in. When he was caught in the act, Tommy ran from the scene, and Hal followed him. Without warning, turn Tommy turned and shot Hal. Hal fed to the ground and held his breath pretending he was dead. And it worked. For years, Tommy believed he killed this man. Um, oh. <clears throat> Good tactic. Oh, yeah. I mean, he shouldn't have fucking fought him when he left. What's well, like uh, one of uh, Richard Ramirez's first victims. Uh, she played dead, and unfortunately, her friend wasn't so lucky, but that's how she survived. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy claimed that the second unconfirmed murder, murder uh, took place when he and a accomplice kidnapped a woman uh, seven miles southwest of Little Rock. They took her down a dirt road to a 100-foot bluff that overlooked an old quarry. They tormented her right there and killed her. They threw her into the water-filled quarry. Um, the reason why this is uh, one of the maybes is because he doesn't have a name. They never found a body. Stuff like that. Uh, in 1983, Sells was pretty stationary. He lived near St. Louis, Missouri and Breckenridge Hills and received three traffic tickets in the area that year, which is a very weird detail. Um, yes, yeah, so killing people and just getting traffic tickets. He, he has basically... Uh, since the age of 10, he's he's been in and out of jail more than he's been out uh, before he was even arrested for this murder. Uh, Colleen, but never. Uh, not till 2000. Um, oh, wow. 
Calling and Colleen and Thomas Gill lived with their children in the West End of St. Louis. They were the owners of Colette and Thomas on on Hair Limited uh, Beauty Salon. Um, they had bought a fixer upper home in Washington Ter uh, Terrence in January of 1983. Um, uh, can we just point out that uh, Carter, one of the people watching, just said Dan is hot and I farted. I farted too. Carter also stated I was born in 2000. I am well aware of this, yes. <laughs> oh. And on a side note, I just cracked my neck and my feet went numb, so I got that going for me. Uh, Always entertaining so I, content for you guys. We're churning it out. <laughs> giving you the real details of our life here. Thomas Gill, uh, July 31st, Thomas Gill was uh, pulling into the driveway when he saw a man matching Sell's description leaving the home when Gill went in. Uh, sadly, he discovered the bloody bodies of his wife and four-year-old daughter. Um, oh, my. This is about to get bad. So if anybody gets, you know, uh, oh, what's the word? Not scared, but doesn't like. It's gruesome. Yes. So he ran upstairs to check on his one-year-old son. He was, Shane, he was 16 when he killed his first. No, um, and there wasn't a thing his victims had in common other than being living, breathing human beings. Um, he, he killed without discrimination. That's uh, for so long, um, no one knew there was a serial killer traveling the country just because he, he didn't have a certain type. Basically, if you upset him or you caught his eye, you were dead. So, um, That's great. So Thomas dangerous. Gale, Such a He ran upstairs to check on his one-year-old son, Sean, uh, who was unharmed and still sleeping peacefully in the crib. And because the baby was quiet, is probably why he was alive. Um, at first, it was believed to be a robbery gone wrong. The neighborhood had been plagued with break-ins, but his wife was still wearing her diamond ring. Um, it was purchased, and uh, the police were suspicious of Thomas because he just purchased a $600,000 life insurance policy on Colleen three weeks prior. However, there's no evidence of his guilt. Um, <clears throat> so basically, uh, <clears throat> Tommy Lincells beat them both to death with a bat. And it was believed that he, he you know, um, raped the mother with the baseball bat. Oh May, May 8th, 1984. He beat a baseball bat. Her baseball bat. God almighty. Uh, May 8th, 1984, Sells was arrested by the Scotts County Sheriff uh, Department in Benton, Missouri, on charges of stealing a Ford Mustang. He bled guilty to the crime and was sentenced to two years in the state penitentiary. Um, while he served his, his uh, sentence, his daughter was born to Nicole Snow. Uh, no, no real name uh, to the daughter, couldn't find it, plus I didn't really want to look. Uh, that's got to be shitty to know that your father is such a tremendous piece of shit. Yeah, definitely. 
He entered Jefferson City Correctional Center on September 18, 1984. The convicts referred to this place as God's bloodiest 40 acres on earth. Minor infractions landed him in the Algoa Correctional Center, then Boonville, then back to Algoa. From Algoa, he was provide, uh, paroled on February 18, 1985. In July of that year, he stole another vehicle, um, drove to Rolla, Missouri, where he abandoned it at a donut shop. July 18th, he checked into a rehabilitation center. Um, three days later, his mother told the police where he was, and the officer interviewed him about the car theft. So basically, he stole this car and ran and hid in the rehab center. Um, worried he would have to go back to prison, he fled the rehab center. Just five days later, a woman and her five-year-old boy were killed when Tommy flew into a violent rage. Oh, man. Uh, July 26, 1985 was a Friday. Rory Court was going to be turning five in eight days. He's over the moon excited um, <clears throat> about going to kindergarten, but he is more excited because he was going to the fair with his mother, Ina, um, that, that day. <clears throat> so... That's heartbreaking. Were <clears throat> so, you know, worked at a fair. car wash in Forsyth uh, throughout the day and cared for her son in the evenings. At the county fair, she flirted with a man by the Ferris wheel. She probably thought it was harmless, but the man would turn out to be the last person she saw on earth. Uh, Ina's yard was litters with toys at night. Inside, the rooms were clean, but a little disorganized. When Cells arrived, Roy was in bed. According to Cells, the visit was pleasant enough. Until that is, he went to the bathroom and returned to find Ina looking to his back. Now, this goes back to, I don't know if Shane is still watching, but this goes back to what I said. Um, he had no intention of killing his family, but uh, poor Ina, she just this throws him into a rage whether it was fear that she might find and steal his cocaine or just anger about her rummaging to his things no one will ever really know uh after all after all she didn't deserve to die no 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 um after all <laughs> serial killers are notorious for lying however the story of ina's death is not of fabrication when Tommy came out of the bathroom, he spotted her bent over the bag. He immediately flew into a blind rage, grabbed Rory's baseball bat from the hall, lifted it high in the air. He beat her viciously over the head on the arms. She raised to defend herself across the back and on her head again. She screamed, begged, and prayed. Uh, but, of course, nobody heard. Um, little Rory stood in the doorway watching Tommy beat his mothers to death. Not satisfied with beating her with the bat, he grabbed one of her kitchen knives, slit her throat, ending it once and all for Ina Court. And because Joe Levins had told <clears throat> uh, he, and because he was once told that no witnesses should ever be left alive, 
He grabbed poor little Rory, dragged him into the living room, beating him over the head with the baseball bat the entire time. He then slit Rory's throat just like he slit his mother's and then proceeded to wipe away all the fingerprints and the evidence left behind. Good Lord. Um, the way he what, did stuff, he didn't have to be so fucking brutal with it. He's a family annihilator, man. He, he, I mean, he killed. When he, when he drugged the kid, he didn't need to beat it while he was dragging it. You know uh, what I mean? Like, fuck. I, none of this needed to happen. It's just he had so yeah, much weight built up inside. And, you know, the, the, the episode he threw flew into because the mother went was going through his bag just kind of lost it uh he would later Set say he would later say that he killed the kids so they didn't have to live without their parents or live with the things they saw blah 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 we throughout okay. history serial killers create these excuses as to why they kill somebody uh it's just because they're fucking evil bastards and that's what they do Agreed. Uh, so he cleaned he cleaned up after his uh, rampage. He gathered his belongings, took Rory's bat with him. Uh, he forced his way out through uh, a, a door and fled into the night. Carnies tend to disappear on a whim. So his absence from the fair he had been working didn't raise any suspicions. The bodies laid in their home for three days before someone found them. On July 30th, 1985, at 7 in the e evening, uh, poor Ina's parents made the discovery of their daughter. Her red car had been parked out front Ooh. all this time, but when they knocked, no one answered. They pushed the door open, and the smell of decaying bodies hit them immediately. Well, that's a rough uh, find, Ben. Oh, my Lord. And uh, poor little Rory, on the day he was supposed to be celebrating his fifth birthday, that's the day... He was buried. Man. Yep. And uh, here's here's the lovely part of that story. Ina had another kid, uh, eight-year-old Peggy. But Peggy wasn't there because she was spending the summer with her father. Oh, so she got lucky. Man, could you imagine the survivor's guilt that, uh, that came off of that? Yeah, poor little girl was eight years old. Mm-hmm. Oh, my. That's that's damaging. That's so damaging. I mean, it's good at least that she had a father to live with. Right. You know, she wasn't out on her own, but God, man, that's horrible. On September 4th, 1985, on Drugs and Drunk, he was driving down the road with two underage girls in his vehicle. He lost control, flipped it, rolled it three times. All three occupants walked away with minor injuries, but Sells was arrested for driving under influence. And, of course, okay. the related to the girl. 30 days later, the court dropped all charges for the girls and sentenced uh, him to time served. Uh, however, on October 15th, his parole was revoked and he returned to Missouri State Penitentiary. On the 29th, he went back to Boonville Correctional Center. His violations in uh, prison were infrequent and minor, self-mutilation and making a disturbance. 
he was released on May 16, 1986, with his full sentence served. Um, he left uh, prison. He went to work for Atlas Towing in St. Louis. Um, he hauled vehicles, made emergency roadside repairs. Uh, it just imagine uh, like 10 years from this date, like, oh, Kathy, isn't that the guy that changed our tire on the side of the road? Yeah. During this time, he met a, uh, during this time, he met and married a woman named Sandy, who since uh, has died of breast, can breast cancer. Uh, <clears throat> one night, uh, he was repairing a vehicle around five minutes from the arch um, off Broadway in downtown St. Louis. Sells uh, claimed the owner of the vehicle kicked him. Sells pulled out his gun and shot the man, leaving him for dead. Before he could get out of the area, he was arrested in Pagandale for stealing the light bar from a tow truck, but the charges were dropped and it continued to cross the country nomadically. That's uh, wild, man. The cops could have had multiple people. Yeah, he slipped through so many times. Uh, Sells started wandering south until he landed at Arkansas, Arkansas Path, Texas, a tiny fishing town separated from the Gulf of Mexico by Mustang Island. There he found a job with a golf team shrimp. Their boats went out to sea for 30 days at a time. On one of these trips, Sells overdosed on heroin. He turned blue and passed out before he was able to inject all of it. Uh, he was found with the needle still stuck in his arm. When he was found, he was breathing, uh, but it was labored. Since the boat was two and a half days out, Cell's survival was questionable. Uh, the captain called the Coast Guard, but Cell re regained consciousness before they arrived. Um, of course, after all this, Cells never went back out to sea. Uh, he wandered across the country, <laughs> yeah. going wherever he wanted. Um, man, if he just would have injected everything, so many lives would have been yeah, saved. Because he's already got a, you know five or six bodies under his belt, but he is just beginning. Um, yeah. So Sells may be the one who murdered a 19-year-old by the name of Michelle Xavier and 21-year-old uh, Jennifer Dewey in Fremont, California. Hey, I've been to Fremont in 1986. Their bodies were found off of Mill Creek Road. Uh, one had been shot in the head while the other had her throat slit. Uh, in April 1987, Sells hopped onto a freight train and rode as far north as possible. He got off in Lockport, New York, close to Niagara Falls, which is only about an hour and a half from here. Um, May yeah, day, uh, Susan Corks was at a local bar fighting with her boyfriend, Michael Mandel. Uh, she left the bar angry, heading in a direction that wouldn't take her home. She was never seen again and was listed as a missing person. Uh, leads were followed up and suspects were questioned without result. Uh, Suzanne didn't show up. Uh, or called a hair salon where she worked. There wasn't any activity on her credit cards. Uh, she never contacted her family. Within weeks, she was presumed dead. 
The police conducted a search of the waterways and canal, but they never found her body. In the center of the town, in the new uh, Niagara uh, <coughs> escarpment, uh, some of the hillsides um, <coughs> take a 50 to 60 foot drop. Near there is a canal which lo uh, with locks that gives the town its name. Uh, more than seven years after Suzanne disappeared, a worker was sent up into the hill to clear off some of the debris. He saw uh, what he first thought was a piece of trash, but when he picked it up, it was a human skull. Suzanne's <clears throat> body was finally found 800 feet from the canal near a railroad trestle. Uh, she had been buried in a shallow grave that had been covered with debris. Um, the cause of death wasn't determinable. Uh, just because of the rate of decay. May 3rd, 1987, two days after uh, Suzanne disappeared and two states away, Tommy Lynn Sells woke up with blood all over his clothes. Um, <clears throat> he wandered aimlessly towards the southwest until he stopped in Humboldt County, Nevada. It's a desolate area where the largest employers uh, are in the mining industry. From the early 1800s on, uh, the countryside is spotted with hot springs and abandoned mines. To the south is the small town of Winnemucca. Um, the population in 1987 was close to 13,000. Upon arrival, Sells landed a job uh, for Raymond Lavoie uh, Roofing Company. However, his expenses were greater than his paycheck. He passed a bad check on October 28th. And then on the 30th, he stole a bank bag and a handgun from one of his company's trucks and used Lavoie's credit card to rent a hotel room for a woman. 20-year-old uh, <clears throat> Stephanie Stroll. Well, Go ahead. When you got a bag of money and uh, you're ready to party, it's what you do is you get a woman in a hotel room, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Monopoly bag. So Stephanie was a college student at Reed College in Oregon, but she was a longtime resident of San Francisco. She just returned from a trip to Europe and Asia. When she arrived in New York, she decided to fill her lifelong dream of hitchhiking across the United States with a friend. They traveled as far as Salt Lake City. Uh, October 5th, Stephanie Stroh went to a payphone to call her parents. After she had described the sight she had seen since her last call, she told him where she was and assured him it would only be a few days until she arrived home. The following day, she was at Motel 6 and went amok. Uh, there were no rooms available, and she asked where there might be in the arena further down Route 80. Uh, Tommy Sells later told the Texas Rangers that he found the young woman alongside the road. She looked like a knockout as he drove closer. She was five foot five, well endowed, and had sun bleached brown hair. Uh, she was wearing hippie clothing, carried an orange sleeping bag roll with a gray backpack. She stuck out her thumb as Selves drove up, presenting him with an opportunity he just couldn't resist. Poor Tommy. Uh, coming to a stop, he now was he, was he thinking about killing her? Yep. Uh, coming okay. to a stop. He at least rape, uh, pushed the passenger door open. She ran over to his pickup truck. Uh, she asked him where he was going, but it didn't really matter. 
Uh, Cells would have told her he was going anywhere she wanted. She got into the vehicle. Uh, she was relieved. She found a ride. Um, so when Cells told her he had some acid and asked her to drop it with him, he didn't think twice. After all, she was hitchhiking, uh, hitchhiking across the country. What a better time to experiment with drugs. Um, high in the yeah. in the desert. Uh, while she was high on the LSD, cells choke her to death. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Not to be a comedian, but that's a bad trip. Cells put Stephanie... So in the back of the truck he had stole, there was a tub. Uh, and he had concrete. So he put her um, <clears throat> her feet in the tub, mixed up some concrete, and left her hanging off the tailgate overnight uh, as the concrete hardened. In the morning, he dragged her body and belongings to... Uh, um, <clears throat> so Shane says... Uh, I don't imagine anyone is catching on by now in law enforcement trying to put stuff out for the hunt for this guy. A lot, <clears throat> a lot of these cases got passed to like the spouses or family members or just, oh, it was a vagrant. Um, there's no pattern because he, he beat people to death with a bat. He slit their throat. He strangled them. There's no modus he operandi. Shot he shot them. Um, so it's just, it's just one of those things that, um, and all his victims were different. They didn't really know he was there. They didn't know he was killing all these people. Uh, and he's one of the main reasons why um, uh, hitchhiking kind of went away because it used to be a big thing. But you never know who you're either picking up or getting in the car with. I, I would like if I could, but I doubt anybody would pick up. I wouldn't have picked you up two years ago, Johnny, but now you're slimmed down and lost the hair. It just makes me more uh, more agile and dangerous. <laughs> you're not dangerous. Shut up. Three days Rawr. after <laughs> three days after Stephanie was killed, uh, when she didn't arrive at home and hadn't called her father and step her mother and stepfather called the Winnemucca Police Department. Um, when they found out she'd been hitching across the country, it's easy to assume she's been abducted and transported across state lines. So the FDI, FBI was put on the case. Um, <clears throat> so again, nobody knew. There's there's witness reports, but Tommy Lynn Sells wasn't didn't live in these areas. He just traveled. He drifted, uh, and again, that's just why he was able to operate for. 20 years, 20 plus years. Um, <clears throat> so, the, you know, they try to look for this poor girl, put out flyers. Law enforcement couldn't find anything. Um, they offered a $10,000 reward for information. They, uh, the Strohs hired a psychic to aid them in their, their search. Um, they were told they could find her body at the bottom of a well or, or a mine in eastern Nevada. Um, so authorities uh, finally the psychic told him that she saw Stephanie's feet in concrete, uh, which is true, and that's what happened. Um, so they eventually find her. You know what? That's interesting. 
that's an interesting uh, gig I've never heard anyone doing, anyone uh, crime-related doing, killing killing people, hiding their bodies, and then pretending to be a psychic and, like, leading police to the bodies, like, murdering somebody, sticking her in a gully, and, like, their families look forward like, oh, it's in down here. Like, I've never heard of that. That'd be interesting. Um, I don't know. Maybe so not. Like, Fuck it. <laughs> I mean... I, that would be a very good disguise for a serial killer, like maybe in like the seventies or eighties. I mean, I yeah. mean that make a good movie. <sighs> Luckily, somebody. Kind of <laughs> uh, in November, a female resident of Wetamaka reported an incident that had taken place around the same time Stephanie disappeared. Uh, she was traveling along the frontage road when she spotted a young woman. Um, uh, was traveling along uh, this road uh, when she saw one match in Stephanie's description. She's scuffling with a man driving a truck alongside the highway. The resident stopped and asked if the woman needed help, but the woman never responded. The man jumped into his truck and the woman walked away westward on the highway. <clears throat> if you see something like yeah, this happen, don't be quiet about it. Oh. Like, seriously, if you see something like this happen, don't be quiet. Like, obviously, it wasn't okay. Uh, a few days later, another woman said she saw the same event. She said, uh, claimed the man had been walking along the highway and the woman had been driving the rig. Uh, the new witness had gotten the name of the truck company, making it possible for the police to track the identity of the driver. Soon the FBI had a name from the Arkansas-based truck company. However, the man was no longer employed at the business, and his location wasn't known. Uh, the residents um, couldn't stop talking about the case. Uh, <clears throat> some law enforcement officials believe Sell's confession uh, that he killed Stephanie, but others don't. Neither his no employers nor his friends knew of his plans to leave Winnemucca, but on November 3rd, he was heading out of town. In a matter of days, he made it to Illinois. Um, he He's made a it. Shake. He uh, made it to Ina, Ina, Illinois. Um, it was a small town in the south of the state. Uh, had a bank, a gas station, store, post office. Nothing terrible um, <coughs> had ever happened. Uh, on November 17th, 1987, four people who were at a house on the southern edge of town. Um, <clears throat> there was four people and only Sells was left to tell the tale of what happened. And he, he couldn't get the story straight. He told three different versions over the years. And one, he met Keith Dardine while he was hitchhiking and Keith brought him home. And another, he and Keith met at a pool hall and Keith invited him home. And in a third account, he was never invited inside. He broke down their door. In the first two uh, versions, Sells told investigators that Keith had made homosexual advances towards him. However, Keith was not known for picking up hitchhikers, and he was very protective of his family. Um, hmm. Very unlikely that the first two versions were untrue uh, or were true. Sells uh, stories in the physical evidence, the investigators pieced together the most likely path of events that happened that night. <clears throat> Sells was riding the train into Illinois. 
He jumped off at a train near Route 57 as a major highway that ran north to south through the entire state. Um, to the north, it passed by Champaign-Urbana and Kanakai. Okay, there is a hard name. And then it went to Chicago. We were going good for so long. We were going good for so long. We made about an hour into this. Uh, from where cells disembarked, the highway passed south through a series of small whistle-stop towns until it ended near the Kentucky state line. So he's so, just, he just moving and shaking the whole time. Yep. He um, can't be contained. Sells was constantly looking for open doors of opportunity and uh, vulnerability of his victims. Uh, the modest trailer looked perfect to him. The Fort Sign sale beckoned to him. Uh, the Dardines rented the property and farmed the land near the house. They owned the trailer, but it was starting to feel too small for their growing family. Oh, boy, a family. Uh, Sell sat mm -hmm. in the dark, watching the home waiting as he drank one beer after the other. <clears throat> when he figured it was time, he approached the home cautiously with a gun in his hand. He stole the gun in Nevada. He knocked on the door. Keith opened it and asked Sells what he wanted. Sells said he was interested in purchasing the home. Uh, Keith did not hear a vehicle pull up, and he couldn't find one. Uh, aware so something's not right here. Yeah, Where he didn't. Yeah. To his it's pregnant good he wife. Didn't yeah, um, his pregnant wife Eileen and his young son. Uh, apparently, Eileen let him come. You know, come on, I. That was terrible. Uh, Peter suppressed his desire for a sale and refused to allow cells into the home. But as he closed the door. Sells through his body into the open gap, pulled out open gap, pulled out his gun, pointed it directly at Keith's head. He shouted threats at Keith, backed him up with his hands raised above his head a few yards away. Eileen was clutching Peter uh, to her side in fear. At a shout from Keith, she turned and ran to the bedroom with her son. Sells was quick, and he grabbed Peter from his panicky mother held the gun to the three-year-old's head. According to one of Sell's oh, stories, uh, he asked Keith for rope. When Keith said he didn't have any, uh, Sells told Keith to find something from which he could tie up his wife and son. After he fumbled through the drawers in the kitchen, uh, Keith found a roll of duct tape without moving the gun away from Peter's head. Sells uh, bound his feet and mouth and hands uh, with the tape dragging the boy with him. He ordered Eileen dart into the floor. He then repeated the process with her. This would be the last time uh, they ever saw one another. Uh, Sells told Eileen that if she moved, she would kill her husband. Sells then turned to Keith and threatened to kill his wife and child if he didn't do as he was told. Uh, with a gun to his head, Keith drove his vehicle a mile away to an empty field. When the vehicle stopped, Keith knew he had to get the gun away from Sells. If he didn't, he'd be dead. Um, he made his move, but it wasn't fast enough. Sells shot him in the cheek. Keith slumped back. Sells uh, dragged his body from the car and threw him on the ground. Keith protested weakly and tried to struggle, but it was no use. Sells <clears throat> unzipped his pants, pulled out his genitals, and removed them from his body. 
He was in oh, shot twice. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like I said, evil. Pure fucking. I didn't see evil. that coming at all. Yeah, neither did Keith. Uh, then he Woo! shot him twice, once in the side of his head and once in the side of his face, engulfed in the bloodlust of that moment. Cells jumped into Keith's car, drove back to the Darding home. When the door opened, Eileen's eyes looked hopeful momentarily. However, when she saw who walked to the door, her hope turned into horror. Cells unbound her so that he could rape her. He used scissors to cut her clothes off. And when she struggled, he threatened to kill her son if he didn't cooperate. Instantly, she was still and accepted the assault without a sound. Good. That's <clears throat> awful. Oh, yeah. Um, as, she poor lay, woman. as she lay on the floor, cells roamed through the trailer. Peter was crying uncontrollably. Cells couldn't take it any longer. He raised a baseball bat and smashed the toddler's head. Uh, oh my. Eileen rushed Cells just as he raised the bat, bat again, uh, and he only grazed Peter's head. He shoved Eileen back with her hands bound. She lost her balance and fell to the floor. The ball's on this woman. He raised the bat, struck the toddler multiple times. Uh, oh cells turned his attention to Eileen. Uh, but when he raised the bat again, he was he saw something strange happening. Um, Eileen gone into labor. A uh, small baby girl was born oh right before. Yeah. <clears throat> so turned to Eileen. Uh, yeah, she was like eight months pregnant or something like that. Oh, my God. I had no idea she was fucking pregnant. This makes it even worse. Uh, just a uh, viewer discretion. This next part is pretty terrible. Holy shit. Cells turned to Eileen, picked up the knife, sliced into her breast, turned to the baby, bludgeoned it to death with the baseball bat. Then he turned to Eileen, fractured her skull with the bat. As her final breaths were leaving, he sexually assaulted her with the baseball bat and left it lodged inside ah. of her. <clears throat> Good Lord. Uh, with the family dead, Cells carried the bodies uh, into the master bedroom, laid them on the bed very carefully, removed the duct tape from their bodies. He wiped down the surfaces for fingerprints, cleaned up the puddles of blood, sanitized all the areas he had touched to remove any evidence. It was a slow, meticulous process. When he knew he erased all the evidence of his crime, he climbed into Keith's blood-spattered end. 81 Plymouth and headed south on Highway 57. <clears throat> so, oh, wow. you all right? That uh, was rough, man. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm all right, but what the? So, Hunters, uh, a couple days later, Hunters found Keith's body. Uh, his vehicle was found later. It was as if the killer was taunting the community and the police. The Blenstein Plymouth was parked near the police station in Benton, about 11 miles away from the crime. Uh, so, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, 30, aftermath of this murder, 30 local and state detectives were assigned to the case. They thought they were chasing a serial killer in this town. They had no idea um, that it was Tommy Lynn Sells. Uh, their clues were limited. 
no money had been stolen. Um, <clears throat> uh, camera and VCR had been left in plain sight. No evidence pointed to a, a specific suspect. There is no reason for this quiet family to be victims of this brutal crime. And no one had been questioned or um, had recalled anything out of the ordinary. The only lead was a dead family. Yeah. So. So they didn't even know what they were looking for. They didn't so, have a description or anything. No. So Sells got out of the area quick. He took a job with RB Pastnex at Cape uh, Gurdell, Missouri Company. Uh, they wanted men to work construction on a two-lane state road in Florida. It was Road 84, also known as Alligator Alley. When it was finished, it was renamed Interstate 75. It went directly okay. from the Atlantic Coast to the Gulf Coast through the Everglades. When Sell was working uh, in Florida, his legal father passed away. When unnoticed by Sells, um, Sells stood very uh, was just knee deep in shit. Um, at St. Louis, he was arrested again for stealing a vehicle on January thirteenth, uh, September of nineteen eighty-eight. He headed north. That same month, Melissa Ann Tremblay disappeared. She was 11 years old and lived in Salem, New Hampshire. She had last been spotted um, at a convenience store parking lot talking to a man with dark hair who was in desperate need of a shave. Uh, they found her body face down on the railroad tracks between two trains at a Boston and Maine freight terminal in Lawrence, Massachusetts on September 12th. Her body had been sexually assaulted before she was stabbed to death. Blood and footprints 65 feet from where the body had been found suggested she struggled with her attacker. Never mm. stop fighting. Uh, unfortunately, a slow-moving freight train had rolled across her body, destroying any evidence. Um, Ooh, this guy. <sighs> That fall in Salt Lake City, a woman and her three-year-old son fell under Tommy Lynn Sell's spell. He put them out on the streets by his side as they held signs that said homeless and hungry. He coached the boy to make sad faces and smiles, and after a few weeks, it was time for them to go on a road trip. The mother and child piled into the back of a stolen Dodge van and went to Idaho to spend the night along the Snake River in Gooding County. Um, the mother and her son never returned from that trip. Sells confessed to killing them both and dumping their bodies in the river. He walked away with his pockets lined with the cash he accumulated from the passerby who had taken pity on the woman and small child. Um, he moved to Tucson, Arizona. In mid-December, he crossed paths with a homeless man by the name of Kent Allen Lawton, a native of Phoenix who was bouncing back and forth between the two cities. Uh, Sells sold a bag of marijuana to uh, Kent, who promised to give Sells money later on that day when they met up again. Con Kent taunted Sells and refused to pay. Uh, Sells couldn't do anything about the taunts at the time because Kent's friends were around and he was outnumbered. However, he knew where Kent slept. Sells uh, crept up on Kent's sleeping quarters that night and found him in the arms of another man. 
Sells was on top of Kent in no time with a pocket knife in his hand. The other man fled from the scene and Kent locked eyes with Sell. Sell stabbed him multiple times and Kent bled to death alone. With his pocket knife in hands, Sell scratched a shallow grave in the ground and rolled the body in. <clears throat> Two days later, a 12-year-old boy wandered into the homeless camp to find a good spot to dig uh, sand for his grandfather. He quickly forgot his plans when he found Kent's remains. Uh, when the body was found, Sells was already in San Bernardino, California. Uh, been a yes, he is. He was arrested on Christmas Eve for assault with a deadly weapon, but the police were unable to locate the victim, so Sells was released. He went north on I-5, uh, stopping in Berkeley next. On January 27th, uh, 1989, he got into a fight with the ticket agent at a train station. The uh, police reported that incident uh, confirms he was in the area and Sells later claimed to have killed a 21-year-old prostitute. Uh, well, he was there. Wow. Uh, it's no rhyme or reason. No rhyme or reason whatsoever. Yep. Uh, he said it was a drug deal gone wrong. He thought he was arguing with a man. Uh, so as soon as he discovered it wasn't a man, he killed her. Uh, Please. Police found an unidentified body near the area where he claimed to have left her just north of Lake Tahoe in a town called Truckee. I've been to Truckee, too. Um, Sells. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying I'm following his career path. I've just been to a lot of the same places he has. Uh, Sells made a trip to Colorado. Sells <laughs> made a trip to Colorado in March and then continued north on I-5 until he came to Roseburg, Oregon, a small town an hour south of Eugene. Um, he worked for a small woodcutting business and lived at a local couple's home. He spent his workday falling trees. Uh, he said that while he was in the area, he kidnapped a girl with long hair in her 20s and then raped and killed her. On May 9th, hey, that's my birthday, he met a hitchhiker who was looking to go up to Washington State. When she tried to steal his drugs, he murdered her too. He left both the bodies in the forest where he was cutting trees. Later that day, he was arrested for second-degree theft for stealing $30 from the firewood stand. He served 15 but days in jail. Nope. Uh, <clears throat> he was a free man again after 15 days. Sells made it a short stop before uh, uh, before his journey uh, to Arkansas on August 16th, 1989. He was charged with theft and arrested in Little Rock on the 23rd. The charges were dropped, and he was free again. Hmm. <clears throat> he went back to Oakland and then went to Montana for a short visit with a girlfriend in Missoula. He returned to Oakland in time to experience the earthquake on October 17th. Shortly before it happened, he got off a commuter train and went into a restroom to shoot up some heroin. You know, <clears throat> okay, it doesn't surprise me the drugs are involved. So after this happened, he hurried uh, south to Reno where he's arrested the following night and put in a detox center. Once again, um, rehab was wasted. Uh, he was soon arrested in Carson City 
and put into another rehab center for 30 days. December, he overdosed on heroin and was hospitalized in Phoenix for two days. So uh, put this uh, end of part one, uh, bring us right up to 1990. I hope you guys enjoyed this so far. Pretty, pretty gruesome case. Uh, we'll be back probably 7.45 to live stream part two. We're going to cover 1990 to 2000. Uh, so please stay tuned or tune back in 15 minutes. Follow at What in the History on Facebook. That's where we're going to be streaming from. Uh, everybody else is watching on Twitch and Periscope. Uh, please share, tune in, like, follow. Uh, we really appreciate it. We really love doing these episodes. Um, Absolutely. Got anything else, Johnny? No, we'll see you back soon, guys. All right. Uh, let's see if I can end this on the first try. We'll see you guys in a little bit. It was a moonless night. I was 18 years old. Life was going nowhere. It was midnight at the railroad tracks. Miles away from anywhere I said my dark prayer You didn't look quite How I figured Green suit and black hair Smile on his face Ribbons on his chest Seem to walk on air. He promised to get me out of this town. I'd be handsome, wealthy, and brave. I travel the world, be powerful, but a slave until my grave. Now it's raining. In the desert, as it always gotta rain on me. I'm just another of the devil's dogs. Would they ever want with me? He grinned, I signed my name. Diabolical back seal. Heard the cadence of an evil choir Sand shifted, I fell into the pit And marched with the other damned Until I was one of them But forever Lost out on the sea, the 
sans bouger. 